I'm your big, bad, booty daddy. Now holla. Pee. 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 What? How many times do I have to tell you? What? We're the Squash Match Podcast. We don't want to get sued. Holla if you hear me. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Squash Match Podcast, episode three. Smirks, three episodes in already? It's fantastic. Three episodes in the books. Now, uh, if you're getting sick of hearing our voices talk for a long time, guess what? We have a special episode. You're not going to have to listen to us talk. Because I'm going to be doing catchphrases for two hours. Uh, God help us know. Seriously, we're not made of money. You you really want us to get sued at this point? I will elbow drop Ric Flair's jacket. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) Well, with your impression, I can't tell if it's Ric Flair or Charlotte Flair. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special podcast for you. Uh, We got to interview a WWF uh, legend, one of the original... Uh, jobbers of the WWF who was out there wrestling everybody that you could think of. If you go to the Hall of Fame, you point at somebody. Well, actually, you can't really go to the Hall of Fame, maybe a website or something. But if you look at the Hall of Fame list and you point at somebody, chances are great that uh, Mr. Outrageous Al Burke himself has wrestled them. Before we get into the interview, uh, I wanted to take a moment to thank this week's sponsor, who without this sponsor... This interview would have never happened. Tom Devlin's Monster Museum. Uh, you can find them at 1310 Boulder City Parkway in Boulder City, Nevada. Uh, go explore the crazy mind of Tom Devlin. Experience horror history with a tour through his Monster Museum. All made up of classic monsters throughout horror history that he made himself. Um, If you happen to be in the Boulder City area, it is well worth your trip. If you don't happen to be in the Boulder City area, it is still well worth your trip. Uh, Actually, if you're in Vegas, you could sign up for his RIP experience where he will come in a custom hearse to pick you up from your hotel, bring you to a tour of the museum where you have it all to yourself, privately guided by Tom Devlin himself, and uh, a ride back to your hotel. It's a group of two to six people. Highly suggest it. More fun cannot be had in Vegas, and that is saying something. Smirks, we can't have more fun in Vegas than the Monster Museum? Absolutely not. If you happen to be out there for um, in late May, you know, there, there might be a little wrestling function there. Uh, I don't know if you heard of uh, this double or nothing thing. Eh, a couple hmm. people, I think, are going. If you happen to be there, make sure... You book an extra night and head out to the Monster Museum. Um, Anytime you're in Vegas, it is, I can tell you, I've seen it. It is one of the most original, awesome experiences that you can have. If you make your way out there, let them know that Squash Match Podcast sent you. They will hook you up. And Smurfs, I'm thinking that in the future... Maybe you and I might have to hit up a pay-per-view out there and check out the Monster Museum. Be very interested in seeing that. Uh, 100%. And uh, actually, you could see Mr. Outrageous, who we'll be interviewing in a couple minutes, you could see one of his masks that he wore in a movie that Tom did with him, uh, Killjoy 3. Uh, Mr. Outrageous played Punchy the Clown, and that's actually what led us to getting him on the podcast. So uh, it is a very interesting show today. Um, he tells stories from his WWF career, his uh, independent scene career, I mean, all over. So it is a very, very interesting podcast that we have for you today. Smurfs, I think one of the coolest things to let people know is that they can go to YouTube and they can YouTube Al Burke and, like you said, see him wrestle the ultimate warrior, King Haku, Andre the Giant. I mean, you name these these people on the Mount Rushmore of the WWF era, and Al Burke has wrestled them. So I'm more than excited to hear this and just shows how big we're getting and how quickly the Squash Match podcast is growing. Absolutely. Well, without further ado, here's the interview with Mr. Outrageous Al Burke. Enjoy it. 
Today we have our first special edition episode. We have a legend among men with us on the Squash Match podcast. His wrestling career has spanned over 30 years and has wrestled all over the world, being a 16-time world champion. He has wrestled for and booked for the WWE in the late 80s and early 90s at live shows and TV tapings. Having started as a boxer before wrestling, then moving into acting and stunts, this man has truly done it all. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Squash Match Podcast, Mr. Outrageous Al Burke. Thank you, but I got to clear up one thing. You said WWE. No, I was never WWE. I was cool school. I was WWF back in the day. You were the original. The original. That's it. So, starting out with uh, your life, your, your given name, Al Burke, uh, you were originally a Golden Glove boxer. Uh, what was that like, and what led it to you moving into the world of pro wrestling? Well, I was, uh, this was back in like the mid-70s. Um, friends of mine were, you know, we just, we were out of high school, and um, they went into Golden Gloves, so they asked me if I wanted to come with. I thought, oh, it sounds fun. You know, I've always been a scrapper, and um, so I went and did that, and I ended up, uh, this was back in Minneapolis, and I ended up, uh, um, you know, winning there and going on twice to the upper Midwest, which both times I ended up losing to the guy that went to Nationals. Okay. But I was never, you know, I never considered myself a boxer. I mean, I was a puncher. I was a heavy hitter. Um, you know, I had a lot of knockouts, and, you know, one of them was, what, like 16 seconds into the bout. You know, the guy hit me with two jabs, made me mad. I hit him with a right, followed by a left hook, knocked him halfway across the ring. I read uh, a newspaper article on that one, actually. Right, and the, and the doctors instantly jumped in because this guy was flying. And, you know, it's like, no, you know, that was me. So, you know, I mean, I give credit to all the boxers out there because they are really skilled. I was just, you know, a badass puncher, and I could hit. But then from there, one thing you missed, I went on into karate. Oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah, I, I ended up going to karate, and this is like uh, late 70s, early 80s. In fact, um, he wasn't an instructor of mine, but Eric Bischoff, a name that many wrestlers know, we went through the same karate school, and we only fought once, and I got to say, it was a one nothing victory. Mr. Outrageous came out. I wasn't Mr. Outrageous at the time. <laughs> but, you know, and we, you know, we did rounds, and it was a late, you know, late in the third round, just before the end of the fight, I scored a back fist. We're both very cautious. Eric is smaller than I am, but, you know, with that smaller size, obviously comes a you know, little more speed. And, um, so, yeah, I scored a one nothing victory, and, you know, ha-ha, Bischoff, you're my bitch on that one. <laughs> but there, yeah, then I moved on, and um, actually friends of mine knew Hulk Hogan. And this was back, he was in the AWA, he had just finished um, Rocky Three At Thunderlips. Yeah, Thunderlips. And he was doing the, you know, um, um, three times against Nick Bockwinkle, of which, you know, he got robbed on a couple of them. And I think one of them, they actually went back and through court reversed it. But, you know, it was right after that. But, yeah, I was over at his apartment, and it was an night he was facing Bockwinkle. I don't remember which one of the three it was. And I remember him walking out of the bathroom, and he had to duck. You know, duck his head down to get through the doorway. I'm just like, oh, my God, you are big. <laughs> and uh, so you know, he was very cool, and we sat at the table. He told, you know, me and you know, my buddies that took me over there where to go to school, how to get trained, how to get into wrestling. And I remember walking out of that meeting, and, you know, we actually rode with the Hulkster in this big, big Lincoln Continental to the show. So that was even cooler. Yeah. But um, my friends were like, oh, my God, this is going to be the greatest world going on. I'm thinking, you know, I just can't do that. You know, I don't see myself as a pro wrestler. So for two years, I listened to my friends tell their stories. You know, you know, we were just in Europe. We were going to Japan. Then we're going to Australia. You know, we work in Hawaii, Canada, you know, all over the world. And during this time, were you working? Were you just sticking with karate? What were you doing during this time? Well, I had to, you know, peeling off of my karate, but I had my own construction company. Okay. So I was doing construction, you know, making a you know, decent living and all that, and listening to these stories, I was like, okay, okay, yeah. So I finally, you know, said, you know, told my buddy, you know, my, my main friend, he worked his rigs in the Terminators, and uh, he was actually the trainer for Eddie Sharkey School back in Minneapolis, you know, one of the most famous schools yes. in all of the U.S., and he was their, his head trainer at the time. The problem was Eddie didn't have a ring. 
he was training everybody on mats at the time. Wow. So, and, um, you know, uh, Riggs, Dan Rignati, knew my, you know, my background with boxing and karate and all that. He's like, I can't train you this way. I got to find a ring and then I, I will train you personally. So it turned out, and anybody knows the old Minnesota guy is Jim Mitchell. He was missing a couple fingers on one hand, and I don't know if it's a birth defect or what. I, I just remember Kurt Henning. I love Kurt to death. Yep. Kurt was freaking brutal, this poor guy. You know, he'd hold up his hands. Well, the missing fingers were the three in the middle. He goes, hey, Jim, give me a call. <laughs> you know, holding up. Well, you know, we all know the joke there. Or he, or he go, hey, Jim, you want to go fishing? He pretend his bad hand was the fishing reel. And he, <laughs> he starts, you know, so Kurt was a little brutal to him. But, you know, Jim was a good guy. Um, I ended up training out of his gym and, uh, yeah, became a, a pro wrestler right there. And within six months, I had my first match. So, you know, I made it out of school pretty quickly. But, you know, I had all that ring experience. So that really, really helped me. That's awesome. That's a, now. So I mean, you've wrestled all over tons of different promotions. Uh, you did spend some time in the WWF, um, yeah. and while there, you were the PC term for it now is enhancement talent. But back then, it was a jobber. Did you do you prefer uh, the term enhancement talent, or do you just allow it to be a jobber? Does does any term bother you, or no? It doesn't bother me. You know, the the cool part is, and this is where. Nobody today is ever going to get to live the life that we live. Yeah. We would go off and do either a two or a three day in a row TV taping for for uh, WWE or WWF. You know, back you know, now it's illegal to call it WWF, but ha, too bad. <laughs> but yeah, it was. You know, we would go and we'd do these TV tapings. We travel all across the country, and you know, I was, I guess, you know, I don't know if I was smart or what, but, you know, I was, you know, I had my own business, so I understood business, and right away, Tom Stone, who was the main booker, you know, out of the Midwest, he would call me and tell me, I need you to get 10 guys, 15 guys, 20 guys, whatever, and he would tell us the towns, and it was up to me, I would, you know, I would book uh, hotel rooms, I would book uh, car rentals, you know, we'd usually get vans if it was you know, a bunch of guys, and we just go caravan across the country, going to these different towns, wrestling for the WWF. I mean, facing the biggest, baddest guys in the world in the business. Yeah, the guys nowadays will never get that opportunity. So, you know, I don't care what you call me. I just know we had a heck of a good time. We made a decent living. We had a lot of fun. And some of my friends, I mean, we still talk to this day about, you know, our road trips and some of the fun we had. and It was crazy, but it was good. Yeah, I mean, it's with nowadays the way uh, WWE structured with, you know, people get big in the independent scene, then they go through their NXT development program before they even get a chance at the main roster. And it seems like the jobber role is kind of a bygone era. Do you feel like we're missing out on a lot with, without that, or do you feel like just the wrestlers are missing out on having that? I think, you know, the fans and the wrestlers are missing out. I mean, um, one of the things, I guess, nowadays, the TV, they're always big matches or bigger matches. Yeah. So these guys are getting hurt more often because they're out there and they're hanging bay. We go out there, and I remember one match, and I, you know, Dusty Rhodes. And uh, I had just worked with him, and, you know, I, I look on the board, and there I am wrestling him again. So I go over and go, hey, Dusty, we're working together again tonight. We just worked. And, you know, they usually didn't like to, you know, duplicate too close back-to-back like that. He goes, oh, no, 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 brother. I asked for you because I just had surgery, and, I, you know, I can trust you. You're not going to hurt me. I mean, that, that's amazing that Dusty had that level. Or, I mean, if you look at your list of people that you wrestled in the WWF, I mean, it runs the gambit of almost everybody you worked with as a Hall of Famer, from Andre the Giant, the Hart Foundation, the Rockers, Dusty Rhodes, Ultimate Warrior, Jake the Snake. I mean, I could sit here and just list them forever. Did you have any of those? I'm, you already mentioned Dusty, but did any of them stand out as your favorites to work with? Uh, probably my most favorite was Big Boss Man. Okay. Um, we had some great matches. Uh, Bubba was very cool. You know, he wasn't, you know, attitude or anything. Some of these guys, you know, had a pretty crappy attitude and you know they were you know they were the top dog and you know they looked up down on us like we were nothing and um but no you know Bubba was cool I remember one night he sat and talked to my uh two of my daughters at the time 
um, and talked to him for over two hours. You know, and this is outside the locker room, and he's just asking about their school and their friends and what they do. I think I think he was homesick. Yeah. You know, and back then you got to realize, you know, the schedule was 25 days on, five days off. So you basically worked 25 days straight. But on Saturdays and Sundays, you had a matinee and an evening show, so you're doing doubles on the weekend. So you're working 30 times, and then you get five days off to, you know, quick rush home and to get back to work. And to try to rest your muscles and bones and everything oh, else. Yeah, that yeah. And that was one of the things. I mean, even at my position, I knew <laughs> that, you know, if I pulled the sick card at any time, there were a lot of guys that wanted to jump into my spot. Yeah. And, you know, not that I was anything great there. I mean, I had a couple of dark matches where they gave me tryouts and stuff. I was just never big enough, and I knew that. I mean, I came out, you know, Andre and uh, Big John Studd. I mean, my God, you know, almost seven foot and over seven foot. These guys are freaking monsters. And I got to work with them. I mean, how cool is that? It's it's amazing. Now, um, how did they book out those matches? I mean, was there a set plan? Was there a, was it different for tapings and live shows? How did they uh, go about? Did you work with the wrestlers, or did somebody uh, kind of like a manager uh, run through how the match was going to go? Oh no, no, we we went out there and everything was like. I remember the my first match was Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I don't remember. I think it was must have been like eighty six, eighty seven, something like that. But, you know, I'm scared to frickin' death. I mean, it's a packed crowd. I think there's like 60,000 people in there, 50,000, whatever it was, yelling and screaming, we can hear this, and i got to go out. This is my first match, you know, with a superstar. So, you know, I asked, you know, one of the guys that have been around for a while, I go, what do I do? Do I go out and, you know, try to beat him up? Hell, you think this guy's going to give up his half a million or million-dollar-a-year job to some piss ant like you? <laughs> he goes, you go out there and you take a beating like a man and can, you know, collect your money and go on home happy. <laughs> <laughs> now, how many how many years were you wrestling before you got like before you went up into the WWF? I think I had three, maybe four years in at that point. Okay. You know, I didn't have a lot, but like I said, luckily I had tons of ring experience. So, you know, that you know, that wasn't anything new. And even going out in WWF, I mean, yeah, a little bit intimidating, but I I walk out there and just go, Holy crap, now this is cool. Yeah. And people are yelling at you, you're gonna get your ass kicked and I'm thinking, Yeah, you know that's gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure also the boxing and the karate history helped you out with ring awareness and, you know, body like control and all that. Very much, very much. I mean, that was a huge asset, and I think that's the reason I made it through wrestling uh, school so quickly, too. But I also pushed myself. I remember the one night, um, one of my favorite moves ended up becoming the slingshot from outside in. Okay, you know, yeah. Uh, and I remember um, Riggs wasn't there that day, but I, just, I talked to Jim Mitchell. and says, I saw this on TV, and freaking badass move. I want to try it. And I go, how do I do it? So he explained it, and Jim goes, I can't do it. He goes, it's way beyond me. So I go, I want you to give it to me, you know, because he's the only one I trusted. I mean, everybody else was just, you know, in school like myself. So I did it, and first time, you know, of course, you know, scared. It's a new move. You're flying through there. You you do basically a three-quarter to your back. Mm -hmm. I bit my tongue. I was bleeding all over. You know, because I had my mouth open screaming going through the air, and then you hit the ground. I jumped right back up and went back. He goes, no, you're bleeding. I go, do it again, do it again. This was cool. <laughs> well, I, I watched that, and uh, I watched one of your Dusty matches. I'm not sure which one it was. Um, but you have a beautiful one coming coming outside the ring and slingshot and over. It was a great, great spot. Yeah, and I love doing it because, number one, it made them look just super powerful. And I could do it to the point where I'm ending up almost at the other side of the ring, and those are 20 foot rings. So that's you know, you know, you, you hit, you bounce, you turn, and and you're at the other ring, you know, a ring rope, and it looks devastating. And it was the first time, obviously, I cut my mouth wide open, but um, it made them look good. It made them look strong, and that was our job there. Now most other rings are 18 feet, correct? Uh, they were 20s back then. I oh, they, they were all 20s back then? Because I know WWF uh, still sticks with a larger ring than most um, yes. motions. But I was wondering, you know, with that, were you 
doing WWF and then at the same time doing independent shows or other promotions or yes, definitely. Okay. So um, you, I, I was all over at that point. Um, you know, I came out of Minnesota, so I was living there for you know the first bunch of years, and so I was working there, Wisconsin, North and South Dakota, uh, Iowa, and then I ended up getting picked up by a guy out of Denver running a promotion, which I worked for for eight years. And that's actually where I got my first strap. I mean, he liked me. Um, you know, actually, one of the other wrestlers from Minnesota screwed up, um, had a had a rage in the, in the bathroom and ripped the sink out of the wall in, like, the Holiday Inn or wherever they were staying. So needless to say, he got fired. And I got hired. And, you know, I ended up doing eight years there. I became his road manager, um, you know, just, you know, it, it was a good run. Um, I had to do the mixed tag with, you know, I have a female partner. And uh, both of my main partners back then, I'm still friends with. And this was 25, 30 years ago. That's awesome. So, yeah. Now, with all the, with all, you know, the big names that you wrestled, the Warrior match that I watched with, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's he's notorious for being a stiff worker, but he really looked like the chops and the, uh, whips he was giving you into the turnbuckle were quite quite stiff uh was there any others that really were you know you got in the ring with them and said oh I, I don't want to know if i i don't know if i want to go around two with them you know i mean the warrior i mean you know i was very early in my career i'm like okay let's go it's time to play i mean this is what i'm here for I remember the, you know, the first chop and he hit me and, you know, I dropped to the ground and I was like getting up. I go, you hit like a girl. <laughs> he freaking tattooed me on the second one. <laughs> and I was like, woo, damn, man, that stings. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, then when he gave me the Irish whip and almost pulled my arm out of the socket. Um, yeah, it just is what it is. I mean, most of the guys are very cool. I mean, I worked with, um, um, the Road Warriors. I was their yeah. very first match coming to w when they came to WWF. Oh wow! And coming out of Minnesota again, Joe and Mike. I mean, you know, it's like, sorry, you know, it, it, it's going to be a rough night. We, we got things to prove to everybody. I'm like, hey, fuck, this is my job. Bring it. <laughs> and uh, probably one of the nicest, you know, nights I had, you know, working with them. You know, but, you know, you take all their stuff, lots of drop kicks, you know, the thing off the top rope. I mean, it's just, you know, that's our business. And, you know, I wasn't going to shy away from anybody. And so it, it was it was cool. Have you have you had any matches? I mean, obviously, uh, not any ones that I saw with WWF, but through, I mean, throughout a 30-year career. Have you had any matches where, you know, halfway through, either the person's inexperienced or anything like that, and it kind of... Almost turns into a shoot match because you're getting a little frustrated with them. Um, I tried not to go to that point, but um, <laughs> in fact, we're going to have a uh, reunion coming up in Vegas at the end of April, first of May. And a lot of these stories just happen to come out when uh, Mr. Outrageous uh, ended up taking somebody back to school. And <laughs> um, yeah, you know, certain things happen, and you know, normally I, you know. Most of us try to give them, you know, if you make a mistake, no big deal. Mm -hmm. You make two mistakes, now it might be a big deal. And um, I had three one night, and I, you know, and I ended up doing a reverse on the guy and kicking him in the temple with my steel toe boot and knocking him out. Oh. So, but, you know, I wasn't nice about it. I sat there and slapped him until he woke up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I explained what happened, but... You know, I also, I am, you know, a young kid that, you know, disrespected me and um, took uh, 12 stitches to close his eye. You know, so it's like, you know, but normally I'm nice. I mean, I, you know, I love the business. I respect it. And as long as you, you respect it along with me, you know, we don't have a problem. I mean, you know, one of the fun things is my easiest night of work is when I'm working with a good friend. Yeah. Because there's no ego involved. We're just out there. We're, we put on a great show. But if I got somebody that don't like me or is jealous of, you know, I've got the, all these championships or whatever, um, yeah, it's not going to be pretty. There's going to be bloodshed. People are going to get hurt. And, you know, it's, it's time to fight. And, you know, I've got a bit of a fighting background, so i got no problem backing down. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, with that, like, 
do you find it easier to have matches with people that you've had matches with before? I mean, obviously you said, you know, when it's your friend, it's easier because you guys have no ego and stuff, but is it easier to put on matches with somebody who you've been in the match with them before? Or do you prefer to go out there with somebody new and kind of feel them out and kind of create it from scratch with them? About halfway through my career, I decided I was having too many friends get injured and, and you know, where they couldn't wrestle ever again. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I made the choice that I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to avoid at almost all costs wrestling with anybody new. Okay. So I don't care if I hadn't wrestled with them before as long as they were experienced. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so that was really my only, you know, criteria. And I would tell the promoters, you know, you know, they call the bookman, like, okay, who am I working with? And, oh, yeah, we got this guy, and, you know, and, you know, give me a rundown on his career. And they would. And I'm like, okay, no problem. So I was able to protect myself. And that's probably the reason I mean, I'm probably 35 years in now. I mean, I took five years off where I thought I had retired. And actually, just, just this past Sunday, I wrestled up in Toronto. That's awesome. Um, I was, went up there, and I happened to meet Bernie the Cat Livingston, you know, an old legend from uh, the Toronto area, and he was down in Vegas at our reunion. And I went up there to visit him after that, and I got to know his family and everything and talked to the local promotion. And next thing you know, I'm I'm signing on the dotted line, and I got matches. So That's great, though. That's great. They're still going strong. Yeah, so 35 years, but... You know, I've got, you know, seven, you know, seven broken noses. I couldn't tell you how many fingers and toes, uh, four damaged discs. You know, it's not easy, but, you know, I've been, been able to do it and not cripple myself. And I can still get out of bed in the morning and, you know, maybe a little stiff, but I can still walk. So I guess I've made some good choices in my wrestling and I don't go to the top rope very often and don't do stupid things that I've seen people break their neck on. Yeah. Uh, now you, you know, traveling to WWF, traveling to, you know, you did UWF, you did a whole bunch of different promotions. Do you have any, uh, any good road stories that, uh, you're able to share? Oh <laughs> 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 uh, boy, I don't, you know, I would say that's going to be a whole nother show for you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, I travel with like the Iron Sheik, you know, and the cops came and, oh yeah, it, it gets down and dirty. I mean, I was, you know, me and Ricky Rude, me and Kurt Henning, I mean, oh yeah, the list goes on a honky tonk, man. I mean, yeah, we had a lot of fun out there. So let's save that for another time and I might have to figure out which ones I can tell you and which ones I shouldn't tell you. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so, you originally boxing, then you then karate, and then you went into wrestling, and then you pivoted again into acting. Um, a lot of people recognize you as the large Billy Idol fan from The Wedding Singer, but uh, once you see your face, you pop up everywhere from music videos to commercials to TV shows to movies. What made you transition to, into acting, and what do you think has allowed you to be so prolific with your acting career as well? Well, it's funny because I first got approached by um, a local promoter here, Carl Lauer, who had promoted the L.A. area for years, and he called me up and wanted a meeting about this movie coming up, and he was the stunt coordinator. He goes, I got a spot perfect for you. And he says, all you got to do is beat up, kidnap, and kill Mexicans in East L.A. I figured, well, I'm a bad guy, and you know that's been my life, just beating up people. So yeah, why not? But I still wasn't really sure because you know it's like, you know, like I fought getting into wrestling. I also mm-hmm. fought getting into acting because I was like, no, I like wrestling now. I don't, you know, I don't want to be an actor. But I went off and I actually worked with a, a guy from Lucha Libre who was the hero of the movie, and we had a great fight scene and. Uh, I, I ended up taking a backdrop onto the asphalt with no padding, no gator back, no protection, no nothing. But you know, those are, you know, that's the kind of trust. And you know, it's the same thing. He had worked, you know, probably a thousand matches, so I trusted him. But that got me going. I did that movie, and unfortunately, the movie didn't go very far. Um, it's on Amazon now. I think it's called Atomic Blue or Azul Atomico. Um, but, um, yeah, that got me going, and I ended up, uh, you know, finished that and thought, you know, this ain't too bad. I could I could do this. So uh, I went and got an agent, and, 
you know, I talked to friends that I knew, and they they told me how to go about an agent. And he says, oh, sometimes it could take weeks or months to find an agent. Three days. Mr. Outrageous wow. pulls a three-day, and I had an agent <laughs> oh. right there. <laughs> I mean, if it wasn't for acting, I wouldn't I wouldn't have you on the phone right now because uh, we're friends of friends. Um, my good friend uh, Tom Devlin has worked with you on many different movies. Um I think it was Bioslime that you guys first met on, and then you've done a yes. bunch of movies with him, uh, from his own movie, The Trek, to uh, one of my personal favorites, uh, Killjoy 3. Uh, you, Tom, Trent Hager were in, uh, and you played the role of Punchy the Clown. Um, yes. And how the fun you... part about that, we shot that in China. They flew us all to China to go shoot that. That's awesome. Now, how did how did you like being uh, under all that makeup? I mean, I had a very short career doing special makeup effects. I've had to be under a full face before. It is not, not very fun. Well, you know, the funny part is if you're doing it as an actor, it's difficult. Try doing it as an actor and a stuntman where you've got to fight and move, and that's even worse. But, yeah, it is so hot under there. I mean, uh, dehydration is a huge concern. And, like, when we were in China, we were in a studio, but the China heat and humidity was still coming through. So, um, in fact, you know, Tom and I were just talking. The director was John Lachago, which I've worked on every one of his movies. And I, I ended up doing a fall backwards through a table. I think it was a 16-foot ladder, and we couldn't cheat it with padding. Jeez. So 16 feet through a fake table. Onto the concrete. Now, so I mean, I, you're, obviously, you're obviously using your wrestling bump skills to kind of stunt coordinate then as well. Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, you know, I went to the, the lady that takes care of our craft services, our food and snacks and everything, and I told her, says, you know, I gave her six bottles of water. I go, I want you to freeze these. So I was already planning ahead, you know, the day before because I knew, you know, it's going to hurt. <laughs> So, and it did. <laughs> but um, one of the things I did, because there were three tables, you know, that there, you know, we sacrificed a young pretty girl. You know, Todd, you got to hate that. She was naked, had an apple in her mouth. Geez, I hate my job. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm basting her, you know, as I'm cooking her. <laughs> but um, these tables, well, I get in a fight with Killjoy, and I actually pick him up, press him over my head, another wrestling move, and slam him onto the table. The table doesn't break. Later, Killjoy hits me with his mallet. I fly through the air, and I fall backwards through the table and just completely blow it apart. So that's where the fake table came in. But, we, you know, there was a tablecloth over there, so I knew it. as soon as I hit it, tablecloth would come up. Everybody could see underneath. And granted, you could probably take it out and, you know, some kind of program, you know, to erase it or cover it. But I'm like, no, you know, and I told the director, I go, you know, we're up against, you know, Hong Kong here. I mean, these are some crazy-ass stuntmen. I go, let me do my job. Yeah. So, yeah, a dead fall backwards. Now, it, I couldn't look, so I had to gauge everything. Well, the one table right next to it, the next one was a real table. If I would happen to hit that, I would carve my head wide open or whatever, you know, however much I hit it. Mm -hmm. So I had a, a metal plate there between the seam of the two tables, so halfway on the good table and halfway under the stunt table. And so when I came down, I knew if my head was, you know, if I was too deep, at least the plate, you know, I would get a bad bump, but I wouldn't get cut open. Yeah. And it's funny because I hit it perfectly. The plate flipped over, you know, did just a half a turn and landed on the good table from the force of the wind of me hitting the other table. Wow. So, yeah, i got to contribute that to my wrestling, you know, you know, it's like the, you know, the slingshot outside in. It's that same kind of thing, flying through the air and boom, hit the ground. Wow. Now, I, with staying with Punchy the Clown, um, I know Tom put on a uh, wrestling benefit a number of years ago, about, what was it, two, three years ago, down in Florida, where he got you to wrestle as Punchy in full costume and makeup. How was that? <laughs> that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, one thing about Punchy, too, because Punchy, is the, he's, his billing is the behemoth clown. I'm a pretty good-sized guy, but I wear a, a sumo suit under my regular Punchy suit. 
So, you know, I've got a lot of layers holding in a lot of heat. So wrestling out there in that heat was brutal. And humidity. That was almost worse than China. In China, we were at least in, in a studio. This was, this was an outdoor show, which I love outdoor shows. But, yeah, it was it was very hot and sticky. and yeah. In Florida, in full makeup and a sumo suit, probably not the uh, most relaxing way to wrestle. No, it wasn't. But, you know, hey, I'm helping out Tom, and, you know, that's what it's, you know, we help out each other. And, um, yeah, it was it was a fun thing. And, you know, hey, I got to wrestle back in Florida. Last time I was there with WWF, I did Miami and Fort Myers, and I was back in Fort Myers. That's awesome. Now, like, um, it's kind of parallels with uh, – I've talked to Tom. He actually told me something about you I had no clue about, um, which is charity with you and how important it is. And uh, – you're good friends with Sam Childers. Uh, a lot of people know him as the Machine Gun Preacher. Uh, Gerard Butler made a movie uh, about him. How did you get involved with him, and what makes charity so important to you? How come that's such a driving force for you? Uh, let's go back to the charity part first. Um, when I first got into wrestling, um, yeah, I figured I had to give back somehow. Didn't know how, didn't know what. I mean, I was... I knew next to nothing about wrestling. I mean, I hadn't even been out of the wrestling camp for, you know, probably six, eight months. Um, but I realized that our biggest fans were the Down Syndrome kids, mm-hmm. you know, the mentally retarded, um, you know, which is kind of a politically not correct name for them anymore, but um, and Special Olympics. Yeah. So, so I decided, okay, I'm going to go volunteer at the Special Olympics. And I'm like, okay, what do I have to offer? I'm freaking nobody. I'm new into wrestling, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, the cool part was I had vision. I had my vision skateboard with my gold wing trucks, you know. Yeah. You know, and, and my L.A. gear shoes, you know, because <laughs> those were my sponsors. So that was my whole gimmick back then. But I thought, God, you know, they might not even like me. They might not even talk to me. Well, but I figured, you know, if I can put a smile on one person's face, then it's worth me showing up. Mm-hmm. Well, I ended up meeting a bunch of athletes. They were all, you know, thrilled to death. And, you know, it's like, okay, this is cool. So I kept going and going and going. Well, flash forward, you know, many years, um, I'm on a red carpet here in Hollywood. I think it was actually Beverly Hills. And um guy pulls up on his Harley, a big, badass, loud Harley. And, you know, I, I ride big, bad bikes, so... And but I'm dressed in a suit and he's dressed like a biker and we start talking and turns out it's a machine gun preacher. Well, I didn't know anything about him, you know, hadn't heard anything. Mm-hmm. And that was before the movie, but he had just finished his first book and in a couple of weeks he was having his own red carpet to promote his book. So I went, he invites me, so I go, well, I'm hanging out with Rowdy Roddy Piper and Peter Fonda. Wow. It's the three of us with Sam Childers. No, wow. Here again, how freaking cool is this? I mean, <laughs> that's I, quite I mean, a uh, grouping there. Yeah, I mean, Hot Rod was, you know, I mean, uh, definitely a legend and, you know, a heartbreak when he passed on. But also Peter Fonda, you know, the, the original Easy Rider. And, no, it was just, it was another one of those really cool nights. And, I, yeah, I met Sam and we talked and we we developed, a you know, a friendship I've now been to Africa twice for him. Wow. Um, the first time I was over promoting his new new company called uh, Worldwide Total Exposure. And, you know, his pitch to me was, you're not just going to change people, you're going to change a nation. And I thought, wow, that's pretty, pretty damn big. That's, that's, that's big. Yeah. So um went over and I met a bunch of the actors and we didn't, you know, we knew we were going to plan on doing a movie over there. We had no idea what yet. And so we had a red carpet and I took one or two of my belts, I don't remember which, and went over all the way to Africa and promoted and did all that. And I think it was, what's it, the next year or the year after, we had a script and he had already, Sam had already um pre gone through all the talent and got rid of all the crap supposedly. <laughs> and I showed up and we instantly went into casting for this new movie and it was a faith based horror film. And it's a vampire film. So well all Sam's stuff has to be faith based because that's you know, that's what his life is now. 
And some of the people in the movie were actors, but just local actors because they don't have anything, you know, big over there. They act in their church, and that's about it. But some of them were actually the children that Sam had rescued from Joseph Coney and and the the warlords, you know, trying to take over. That's amazing. So, you know, the, the story gets really deep and, you know, stuff like that. But the fact that, you know, I'm able to work with these kids that have been child soldiers, their parents were killed, you know, murdered, massacred, you know, whatever. Um, and Sam saved them, and now Sam's basically their guardian raising all of these kids. So that was kind of cool. And then we shot the movie. Now, unfortunately, I mean, the movie's done. It's completely edited. I can't find anybody to buy it because we have local Ugandan talent, and we don't have any big names. We don't have a Gerard Butler in this movie yeah. to help sell it. Yeah. So, you, you know, that's a little disheartening, but, you know, I'm not giving up. I'm still working on it, and, you know, it's just one of those things. But those are the things, you know, with Sam. I mean, that's been my job now is to get this movie done and, you know, um, get it out there and let's get it sold and move on to the next movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I would love to see that movie. Yeah. Well, I'll personally get, give you a, a little preview of it, but you can't share it. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Now, um, let's let's go back to wrestling a little bit. Um, let's like kind of peel back the uh, curtain. You know, everybody's heard stories of the old locker room uh, in the days that you worked with the WWF. What were you guys? I mean, you see the same guys overnight. It's not like you know you came on for one show and then you don't see them for a while. You you were touring with them live shows, TV tapings. What were jobbers treated like? Were they was there a was there a pecking order? Was there a hierarchy? Or was there just mutual respect all throughout? And, you know, you're doing your job, they're doing their job, and they can't do their job without you, you know? I think it's a little of both. I mean, more, you know, I think we got, you know, pretty good respect out of everybody. Every once in a while, somebody did not. Um, I know I only had a problem with one person there, and that was uh, Tony Atlas. Okay. <laughs> he was working as, uh, uh, what was it, Samba Simba or something like that, Simba Samba. Um, um, so Saba Simba, I think it was. Okay. But um, he was only there for a bit. Well, I remember we came back and we worked, and this was late in my career with, you know, WWF. And he comes back and just starts reaming me. You fucked this up. You did this. You did that. And I'm like, shut the hell up. You know, at that point, I, you know, I'd been around enough, and I'm not going to take crap, and I didn't, you know, I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. And I remember the agents come running over, and they're like, what's up, what's up? And he starts yelling and screaming, and I just let them talk. And then they look at me and go, you guys know me. I've been here for years. So I go, I know my job. I know what I'm doing. He's full of shit. Yeah. Well, I don't know if this is the reason, but a month later, he was gone. I was still working there. And not to say that I'm the reason, because I can't take responsibility for that, but, you know, Tony's got some major problems. I mean, he was living homeless in his car for years, and I think Vince just tried to help him out. But, you know, unfortunately, I don't know if he's, you know, savable. Yeah. But, you know, that's the only one I had a problem with. Everybody else showed me great respect. But also coming out of Minnesota, I mean, the night against Ultimate Warrior, Warrior was working against Ravishing Ricky Rude at the time. That was the big angle going on. Okay. So, and the funny part was, after I come back to the locker room, Ricky comes walking over and goes, dude, that was just all wrong. <laughs> I go, hey, I'm just here to do my job. You know, I'm not going to bitch. Uh, I mean, I already knew he was crazy and, you know, a little bit off the wall, and I was ready for it. And, you know, part of the reason we work out hard, you know, we do a lot of weight training because, it's no piece of cake out there. Now, you also worked with my personal favorite wrestler of all time, uh, who, much like Sam Childers, has turned his life around, uh, from all reports. Uh, but back when you worked with him, he was notoriously not great to work with. Do you have any Shawn Michaels stories, or was he, uh, was he a good guy to work with? Sean, you know, I worked with him and Marty um, when they were tag teaming. Um, no, I never had a problem with him. Um, you know, they were super, God, they were so fast in the ring. They were in and out. I mean, you know, if I would have tried to do it at their speed, I'd trip and fall and smack my face into the mat. You know, it's like, yeah, I, I couldn't believe how quick those two were. But unfortunately, at the time, they were both, you know, they took turns screwing up. Yeah. So one would get in trouble. 
Well, they were very young. I mean, they looked like they were babies. Uh, somebody just sent me not too long ago a tape of one of my matches with them. And you look at them and like, God, they look like they're 16 at the most. Yeah. But their finish was they both went to the top rope, uh, top turnbuckle, opposite corners, jumped off, and they both hit me with a head punch at the same time. Okay. So, you you know, I mean, cool, spectacular, big, high-flying move, and that was their finish. And But, no, I never had a problem with Sean or, or Marty, you know. Um, no, every, you know, maybe it's because I came out of Minnesota and, you know, Ricky Rude was a really good close friend and maybe he had already told them, no, this guy's good, leave him alone. I don't know. I never asked for any special treatment, but I think they all knew that I came out of there and, um, you know, that I was an okay guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you, do you feel the, I mean, I'm sure you obviously feel the crowd, but can you feel when the crowd's kind of turning throughout a night or, you know, maybe like, I mean, the UWF Blackjack Brawl, uh, you had a match in that, and that was uh, notorious for the crowd hating the end result. Uh, I think it was it was Sid Vicious, and I think Steve Williams did a, uh, a DQ for the title match. At yeah, the, Dr. Death, yeah. Yeah. And um, did you, like, could you guys feel that that night, or was it just a, can you not usually tell those things until after? No, that's part of our job. We, especially house shows, we need to understand uh, what the crowd's at. We have to, you know, I don't think they do anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was part of our training back. And it's funny because, I mean, I was always, I was the bad guy until Wedding Singer came out. And then at that point, I could never do anything wrong again. And I did. I tried. I did ten times worse. <laughs> and they were all like, oh, no, you're cool, you're cool. <laughs> you know, I mean, I spit in one guy's face. I'm like, shut up, you're a piece of shit. He's like, oh, God, this is so cool. (laughs) You know, I just realized I had to give up, you know, because it just wasn't working. But we have to listen to the crowd. And if you go out and it's what what we call the heel crowd, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole match changes. Yeah. You know, so, you know, you you think you've, you know, everybody thinks, oh, you go and you rehearse and you do this, you do that. There's no rehearsal. We fly in, like, say I flew in from L.A. here, and I flew into, you know, Pitt, Pittsburgh. Okay. My opponent flew in from Miami. Tomorrow I'm in, you know, Dallas, and, you know, he's in Minneapolis. Yeah. I have, we have new people. You have no time. You fly in, you got to get your hotel room. you got to get something to eat. You usually have to work out. You have to, you know, if it's wintertime, you got to get a tan. Yeah. You know, we have all this to do, and, you know, it's like we don't have time to work out. So this is all training we got back in our wrestling school that it just all fits together. Now, so when you were, we don't get to practice. We don't get to do anything. Yeah. Well, when you were in wrestling school, did you create any type of, you know, finisher or anything like that? Did it change throughout your career, what you did at the end? I was um, a bad guy. My finishing was cheating. <laughs> I didn't need to do anything, but I mean, yeah. Don't ask. You know, I, I can. As Mister Outrageous, it was fun because I could come out dressed as anything. I came out in leather pants and snakeskin boots. I came out in a uh, um, a Farmer John um, scuba diving um, singlet. <laughs> you, know, you, you know, I mean, I just I, I came out with a boogie board. I came out with my surfboard. I mean, Mister um, Outrageous could do anything. So you know. I had no limits, which was kind of cool, and same with my matches. You know, so my finishes, you know, they would change. I mean, whatever, you know, I mean, whatever in the times, moment would get. Yeah, and there were times even with my belt. I've got a couple of belts that I still have. Um, there's rivets missing because me popping somebody in the head with it. <laughs> that That's a great heel move. It's, uh, yeah, see? Whatever you have around you to win. Do you, uh, do you watch the current product or anything? What current product? Like the current, like, <laughs> WWE? Yeah. I, I'm kidding. No. Yeah. No, no I'm, I'm sorry. Um, it's not the wrestling I knew and loved. I mean, and granted, you know, I was old school. You know, everybody's new. You know, the, you know and, and Vince is, you know, Vince is a you know, multi, multi, multi-millionaire because he puts on a product. Mm-hmm. Um, do I think it could be better? Yes. Um, did he ask me? No, and he never will. Yeah. But, you know, I, I don't, you know, I hear some of the things that are happening and I, I just cringe because I don't think it needs to be that way. 
But, you know, he's the man. I mean, you know, he's got the biggest organization in the world for wrestling, and nobody can touch him. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not happy about it, but, you know, I've got no say. I'm happy, like I said earlier. I was in the WWF when it was old school. It was cool. It was, you know, it was something that people now just dream of when they go back and watch, like, oh, my God, you got to work with Andre the Giant or Hacksaw Jim Juggin or Jake the Snake or, you know, whoever, Ultimate Warrior. I'm like, yeah, the who's who of wrestling, the biggest, baddest guys in the world. I go, how cool was that? Yeah, that, it's an amazing thing. And that's the one great thing is talking with you. You know, um, I meet a lot of wrestlers that have wrestled in the past at different indie shows and things like that. And people either seem to be very bitter about their pastime or they seem to be very braggadocious. And uh, you're not that. You're just, it was what it was. I had a great time and I'm having a great time doing what I'm doing now. Yeah, I mean, the cool part was I got to make a living yet. I don't think anybody nowadays, except for the top probably 30, 40 people, don't have to have another job. I haven't had a real job, not even one day in over 35 years. I've either wrestled or I've been an actor and a stuntman. That's it. That's the dream. That's the yeah. dream. Well, it's my dream, and I'm living it, damn it. <laughs> well, Mr. Outrageous, thank you so much. Uh, for coming on the Squash Match podcast, thank you for you know sharing all your amazing insights into the world of wrestling, acting, um, and everything else you do. So thank you so much. Not a problem, and thanks for having me. And yeah, I enjoy talking about all my old friends. And sad part is many of them have departed now. And um, but yeah, they still have a place in my heart. And it was it was fun back then. It really was. All right. Well, thank you again. No problem. You take care. Talk right. to you soon. And we'll talk road trips next time. Yes, definitely. <laughs> we need to get you back on to hear some of those road trips. Write down the ones that you can say without uh, incriminating yourself or anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be tough. But, yeah, no problem. <laughs> Thanks, Tyler. That wraps up this week's podcast. Again, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Tom Devlin's Monster Museum at 1310 Boulder City Parkway, Boulder City, Nevada. And you can check them out on Instagram at Tom Devlin's Monster Museum or go to their website at www.tomdevlinsmonstermuseum.com. Wow, great track. Wow, great track. Smash Podcast is proud to be part of the Bringing the Heat Podcast Network.